0: Wish you'd open your Bibles to the Old Testament with me. We're going to start there this morning and then we'll make our way to the New Testament. The Old Testament book of Numbers. I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture that may very well change the way you have related to the Lord. It may change the way you have thought about your relationship with Him. It may change your faith in ways that you never thought possible. It's a fantastic teaching that comes directly from God. Now, obviously, it was written by a man. Moses is the one who wrote these words down. He was inspired by the Spirit of the Lord to write the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the passage that we are about to read, it comes directly from God. God will sign it. So you're going to know exactly how serious He is about this passage. And I hope you'll pay close attention to it. Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse 37. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments, with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, so that you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Now here's the Lord's signature. I am the Lord your God. Those are God's words. He's teaching them that if they really want to remember what he has already shared with them, if they really want to obey the things that God has said are important, then they need some physical reminders. So they're to put tassels on their garments, and they're supposed to be blue tassels hanging on the ends of those. Every time they see them, every time they shake when they walk, Every time they blow in the wind, they are to be a reminder of the commands of God and the commitment of God's people. They're always to remember what the Lord said and why He said it. Now, I cannot tell you the first time I read that passage. I've read it several times, but I can tell you the last time I read it because it came alive for me in a way that it had not previously done. It was just this past week. I was reading a book on an airplane. The author of this book, Wonderful Lady, Wonderful Biblical Teacher, illustrated this in ways that, well, just captured my attention and captured my heart. This is her illustration of those verses. She said that her daughter, when she was 13, 14 years old made a commitment in her youth group with a number of her friends, the same way we have had people in our youth group, students in our youth group make the same commitment, to remain pure, sexually pure, until they were married. Her daughter made that commitment, and she wore a purity ring as a symbol of that. That ring was always there as a reminder that she had said, this is a commitment that I take seriously, this is a commitment that I'm going to honor. Now, all of her friends around her had made that exact same commitment and were wearing the same rings. But for whatever reason, over the course of several years, she watched as her friend's commitment weakened. They began to fall. Rings began to come off of their fingers. That commitment to remain sexually pure until marriage, though it was still important to them, was no longer possible, was baffling to her. They were God-fearing, Jesus-loving young women just like she was. Yet she would look at them and think, how could this happen to you? How could you go back on that commitment? You were wearing the ring. I was with you when you said that this is what you wanted. How could this happen? Jesus hadn't left them. They hadn't left Jesus. It's just that they had gotten themselves in situations they couldn't get out of and they compromised something that had been so important to them. She thought about it. She realized that they really were no different than she was. It's just that situations in life, temptations had gotten a hold of them and they weren't strong enough to resist them. She realized that she could be in that exact same situation and this commitment that was so important to her could crumble as easily as it had for them. So with a broken heart, she started studying Scripture to see if she could find an answer. And she was using a Bible study technique, which by the way, I do not suggest because there's no rhyme nor reason to it, but it worked for her in this situation. She would take her Bible and just allow it to fall open, and then she would stick a finger in and start reading. And she would expect that God was going to speak to her. And God did. He gave her this passage one night. It came on the heels of several other times that she had done the same thing, where she just let her Bible fall open and put her finger in and read. But when she read this one, it it cut her to the heart. As soon as she was done, she started digging through the drawers in her bedroom, and she found a blue piece of ribbon with tears in her eyes. She went downstairs where her parents were at, and she walked up to her dad and handed him that blue piece of ribbon, and she said, "'Tie it on me, Daddy.'" And she handed her hand to him that he would tie it around her wrist. Tie it on me, Daddy. And he explained to her why he wanted her to. And and so with tears in his eyes, that's exactly what he did. He tied it around her wrist that she might never forget. The Bible teacher, the author that was writing about this says that her daughter wore it until it was nothing but a frazzled piece of cloth and it fell off of her wrist. But by the time that happened, the things that she was wanting it to signify and the things that she wanted to remember were tied tightly around her heart. They'd already been bound there. So it had moved from her wrist to her heart, and she was holding on to those things. The commands that God gave and the commitment that she followed that with were tied around her heart, bound there, both of them as acts of love. God's commands and her commitment that a great story tie it on me daddy because I don't ever want to forget tie it on me because this matters tie it on me because I want to hold this forward folks that's where faith is born when we decide that we want the commands of God tied around our hearts faith is born right there right there and then it grows And grows and grows. And as it grows, we begin to experience things from it. Now, here's what you have to know about faith. God's responses to you are tied directly to your faith. God's responses to you are tied directly to your faith. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We're going to go now to the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. There it is. God's responses to you are tied directly to your faith. Now, we might look at that type of a statement and say, boy, that sounds awfully Old Testament. God's responses to us are tied directly to our faith, but here it is in the New Testament. That's a New Testament teaching. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Did you notice in this passage that there is actually punctuation that illustrates the truth of this? Read this with me again. We're going to go to verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Now, if you were to look just at that last verse we read, at the punctuation, you're going to see two things. In my Bible, you'll see two things. Quotation marks around Jesus' words, according to your faith, it will be done to you, and then this second piece of punctuation, a semicolon. And then right after the semicolon, the Bible says, and their sight was restored. You know what the implication of that semicolon is? There's a pause. There was a pause. According to your faith, it will be done to you. Pause. And their sight was restored. I had a professor in Bible college, Dr. Don Leach. When we memorize Scripture, he made us memorize the punctuation. When we would write it down on test, if we got the punctuation wrong, he would mark us down for it. At the time, I thought, how silly is that? Just because I put a period where there's a comma, or I put a colon where there's a semicolon or whatever, why would you do that to us? Here's why. Because punctuation matters in the Bible. And we need to pay close attention to it, because there you will find meaning. According to your faith, it will be done to you. pause, and their sight was restored. Do you realize how that verse would read if their faith had not been strong? According to your faith, it will be done to you, and they continued on in darkness. According to your faith, it will be done to you, and all they could see were fuzzy pictures in front of them. According to your faith, it will be done to you, and nothing changed. But somewhere between the semicolon and the next word, we find out how strong their faith was strong enough that their sight was restored. That's strong faith. There's a lot of people that would say, I want that type of a faith. How come I don't have it? I see other people that do. I see other people that have their prayers answered. I see other people that are able to receive things from God. How come I can't? What's the difference between me and them? Well, the difference is this. They have figured out how to plug in They have figured out how to plug in, and their faith is, in fact, plugged in. Now, I want to show you what I'm talking about. For that, we've got to go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, let's stop right there. For a number of people, that's where faith stops for them. They understand the hope that is available to us. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understand blessings that are available to us, his riches and glorious inheritance. All of that's available to us but that's as far as they would go in this prayer or in their understanding of what the Apostle Paul was saying but if you really want to figure out how to plug in and how to receive that rich inheritance glorious inheritance you've got to listen to verse 19 here we go and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now here's Paul's teaching. You have access to the power of God. You have access to the strength of God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's all available to you. It's not just about the hope of salvation It's not just about rich blessings, glorious inheritance, heaven. It's about the power of God. Relationship with Jesus Christ is about His mighty strength being available to you. And right here, the Bible says, every Christian has access to it. Now, do you believe that God is all-powerful? Shake your head yes. Do you believe that there is no one else more powerful than God? Shake your head yes. Do you believe that you can be as powerful as God? I'm glad you didn't shake your head yes because we can't and the Bible tells us that we will never be equal to God not ever equal to God but we have access to God's power we have access to his strength and all we have to do is plug in to receive it Now you might say okay you have said that a couple times Phil plug in how do we do that interestingly enough God gives us the mechanism for it within the Trinity we have the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. Most of us have no problem whatsoever understanding the Father. That's God. Most of us have no problem understanding who Jesus is. He's the Son. But that third part of the Trinity, that can be a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. The Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? What's His role? What am I supposed to expect from Him? Well, the Spirit is how we plug in. This past week, I heard on Moody Radio a a broadcast by Dr. Tony Evans, and I thought, man, that's the illustration I'm looking for. So if you happen to hear this, then forgive me for repeating it, and I probably won't do it any justice, but it's really good. Let me show you his illustration to bring all of this to light. Dr. Evans says that he wants you to imagine that your refrigerator is going out and you're going to go buy a new one. You don't just want to go buy the cheapest one you can possibly find. Rather, you have waited a long time for this and you want top of the line. So you save up $5,000 to go buy a Freon-driven wonderment to put in your house. You're after the best refrigerator you can possibly get. You have shopped for it and shopped for it and shopped for it. It's down at Sears. You know what it looks like. You know what it's capable of. And now the day has come for you to go buy it. So you go buy a $5,000 refrigerator refrigerator. Can you imagine a $5,000 refrigerator? Well, you go buy a $5,000 refrigerator and you put it in the back of your pickup, you take it home, wheel it into the kitchen where you pull out the old refrigerator, put the new one in that spot you open up the old refrigerator, transfer the old food that you want to keep into the new refrigerator. You put in some new food that you bought in celebration of your new refrigerator. You purchase some steaks you're going to grill that night. So you put your steaks in your refrigerator. You close the whole thing up, stand back, look at it, and think to yourself, boy, that's, that's a beautiful appliance I've got right there. That's just amazing. And you look forward to everything that's going to happen with your new refrigerator. So you go upstairs, you watch TV for a little while, decide that you're kind of thirsty, come downstairs, open up your new refrigerator, reach in, grab hold of a can of pop. It doesn't feel quite as cold as you think it should. You take it upstairs and pop the top on it and you drink your lukewarm Pepsi and you think to yourself, well, it's a, it's a new refrigerator, it's going to take a little while for it to cool down, so this is all okay. Okay. That night, you go down, you get your steaks out, and and they're feeling pretty warm, not nearly as cold as they should after being in there for several hours, but still you're thinking, well, it's just a new refrigerator, it's no big deal. So you grill your steaks, you throw some vegetables out there as well, and maybe even a baked potato, and you enjoy your meal that night and bask in the glow of your new refrigerator. You're so excited. The next morning, when you get out of bed, you pour yourself a bowl of cereal, and you reach in the refrigerator and grab the milk, and it's not cold. You take the top off of the milk, and there's kind of a unique smell that comes out of it. Now you're kind of worried about your new refrigerator, and you check everything else. You, You check the vegetables. They're turning colors. You check some of the fruit that's in there. It's awfully soft. You look at the cheese, and you don't even want to think about what's happening there. The new refrigerator is not working the way it's supposed to, and you are mad. So you head back down to Sears. With a wonderful Christian attitude driving with you all the way there, and you are going to let them have a piece of your mind. As soon as you walk in the door, this spirit filled sermon that you have inside of you begins to spill out on them, and you tell them exactly how disappointed you are with their service, how disappointed you are with their refrigerator. How could they sell this to you? You spent $5,000 on it. This is just wrong. And the person there at Sears listens to everything you have to say and. Then they gently hand you a piece of paper with an 800 number on it, and they tell you to go home and call that number. That's not the response you want. So you pray for their salvation as you leave. (laughs) get in your pickup, you drive home, you call the 800 number, and on the 800 number, as you lay out all the details of what's happened with your new refrigerator, the person on the other end, commas all get out, says, well, I've got to take you through a, a few things so we can diagnose the problem. The first question they ask causes you to realize what's going on. Would you open the door? So you open the door. Is there a light on? And you say, no, there's no light. They say, would you put your ear down by the the bottom of the refrigerator? Can you hear a motor spinning? Do you hear a motor? No, I don't hear any motor. Then they ask you to pull the refrigerator out. Grab hold of the refrigerator and pull it out. So you do. The person on the other end of the phone says, there's a cord hanging on the back of the refrigerator. (laughs) Would you grab hold of that cord and tell us where it goes? And as you trace out the cord and you find it just dangling at the end of your hand, you say, it goes nowhere. The person on the other end of the phone, wonderful, God-fearing Christian, says, if you don't plug it in, it's not going to work. Good statement. There has to be a transfer of current from the wall to the refrigerator in order for the refrigerator to work. Dr. Evans would teach this. It is the Holy Spirit that transfers the current from God to us. And that's how the power gets there. The Holy Spirit transfers God's power from Him to us. And at that moment, we have access to His strength. We have access to His power. Because we are plugged in through the Holy Spirit. The problem with Holy Spirit teaching particularly if you have grown up on this side of religion. And what I mean by this side of religion is if you have grown up like I have in the conservative Christian church, independent Christian church, and pretty distant from the Pentecostal charismatic movements, we look at the Holy Spirit as a part of the Trinity that we are not supposed to talk about very much. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, people that do talk much about the Holy Spirit or rely much on the Holy Spirit, we would look at as somewhat kooky. We think they're just a little bit off the page. And we shouldn't, because they have access to the power of God through that Spirit. And there are a whole bunch of Christians, this pains me to say this, a whole bunch of Christians, saved Christians, that are powerless, Because they've never plugged in with the Holy Spirit. Instead, they've run away from the Spirit and thought to themselves, well, yeah, I know about the Holy Spirit, but I don't really need the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. You need the Spirit because that's how your faith is powered. The Spirit is the one that powers your faith. Hold on to that. Because, Jesus would say, according to your faith it will be done to you. And without the Spirit of the Lord your faith is probably going to be very weak, if not dead. And that's a dangerous place to be. Now here's another way of looking at this. The refrigerator works the same way our faith does. Imagine that you're driving down Highway 2 and your car dies. You pull over to the side of the road and you pop the hood so people know that you're having car problems. You're looking under the hood. You can't figure out what's going on. Somebody pulls in behind you. They start looking under your hood. They figure out that your battery has died. So they pull around in front of you and hook up jumper cables from their car to your car. And now all of a sudden the lights come on and you start to hear sounds in your car again. And when you put your key into the ignition and turn it, the car roars to life. Now Jeff Robertson by the way would tell me after first service that it's really not going to happen unless the alternator's bad. <laughs> he said, "Jeff, thank you very much for being a mechanic, you missed the point." <laughs> so here's the whole point. The dead car comes to life because of the living car. The dead battery comes to life because of the living battery. The powerful battery. Folks, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. He takes us when we're dead and He gives us life. He takes that which is dead and gives it life. We plug in and we get to experience things from God according to our faith, according to what we believe. That begins in salvation, and it does nothing but progress on from there and grow and get deeper from there if we remain plugged in. But all too often, this is what happens. A person becomes a Christian. They look at the power of God that saved them, and they begin to see the power of God as something to be possessed rather than something to be used. They stop using it. They unplug. And at the moment they unplug, Spiritual atrophy begins to happen. Muscles get weak. We get weak in our faith. Things begin to disintegrate. They begin to deteriorate. And if we'll plug back in, they'll get strong again. But if we don't, they atrophy unto death. That's a pretty tragic thing to have happen. And folks, you cannot look at your faith as something to possess. You cannot look at the power of God as something to possess and not use You have to use it. You have to use it. If you don't, it dies. And a dead faith is a worthless faith. Let me take you to the book of James. James chapter 2. Listen to what he writes. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? alone now that's great teaching it really is the teaching that james wants us to understand is that you cannot simply take your faith say that i have it and then never do anything with it if you do it atrophies unto death and it's useless it has to accompany your actions you'll see people all the time that have their prayers answered You see people all the time that speak about moving forward in faith. And and if you're a person that is unplugged, the Holy Spirit is not working in your life. You've never plugged the Spirit in. You might look at that and say, why isn't God doing those things in my life? Well, the question is, have you plugged in? And you might say, maybe I haven't, but now I want to. I want to plug in. So what do I do? How do I pull this off? How do I get started? Here's my answer. Do something. Just do something. If you stay where you're at, you're giving God no room to move. So do something. Take a step forward. Maybe you have some big challenges in your life and you're not sure what to do. Take a step forward and see what God will do. Maybe you have some financial things that just aren't going right. Well, pay attention to what the Bible says and take a step into those things and see what God will do. Maybe you have a relationship that is in a huge struggle right now and you don't know if you're going to make it out of it. Take a step forward into faith and see what God will do with it. Just get moving. Do something and see what God will do with it and in faith God looks at your action and says according to your faith will it be done to you then you let God take care of it from there the outcome is not your responsibility the action is your responsibility the outcome is God's you might say that sounds really good if there was still a little bit of life but I don't have any life left my finances are completely dead my relationships are completely dead My hope is completely dead. My dreams are completely dead. My marriage is completely dead. Well, I heard this a few weeks ago. This is a great statement. God is still raising things from the dead. He really is. We learn about Lazarus in the Bible and how Jesus raised him from the dead. Jesus is still raising things from the dead. He is still resurrecting dead finances. He is still resurrecting dead relationships. He is still resurrecting dead marriages. He is still resurrecting dead hopes, dead dreams. Jesus Christ is still raising things from the dead. You do something and trust the outcome to him. And he takes care of it. That's how this works. You plug into the power of God. It's available to you. It is accessible to you. You plug into it and let God take care of the rest of it. And he will you may still say, how do I do it? I just don't know. How do I do it? It all sounds good, preacher, but how do I do it? Well, Timothy might have been asking questions just like that when Paul said these words to him. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. So he says to Timothy, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the Holy Spirit, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You plug in. You plug in and let the transfer of power happen. You get access to the strength of God, and you trust it. And then you start taking some steps, see what God will do with it. Now, here's the thing you may never get to see the outcome. You may never get to experience all that God has in store for it. But that's okay. Because a living, active faith that is powered by the Spirit of the living God lasts for generations and generations and generations. Here's a pretty cool story. came after Hurricane Katrina. A lot of you know that after the hurricane hit New Orleans... The people that were in the Superdome were dispersed to cities all over the Southwest. They were sent there for new homes. They were sent there for new jobs. They were sent there to find help and hope and all kinds of different things. Well, one doctor in San Antonio, Texas, was treating a number of the people that had come there from New Orleans. And one person told him this story. He never forgot it. As the water was rising around this man's house, he had his grandchildren with him. The water was getting higher and higher, and they were on the second story. They climbed up onto their roof, and the water continued to rise. They were waiting for the helicopters and the boats, just like everyone else was, and finally they could wait no longer. They were going to have to swim off of their own roof. And So he had his grandchildren grab hold of him, and, and he swam away from his house to the highest roof he could find. And he climbed up on that roof, and there were a number of other people there that had to do the exact same thing, and they were all scared waiting on the same help, waiting on the same helicopters and boats, and they were telling their own individual stories. And finally, one person looked over, and there was a steeple on the roof they were sitting on, and he physically got up, walked over, and hugged that steeple, and he said to everybody else on the roof, sitting there with them, this is a church. We are on holy ground. We're going to be okay. And this man that had swam there with his grandchildren in tow, sitting on that roof, had a memory triggered in his mind and he slapped his hand down on the roof of that building on the church and he said, my grandparents, my grandfather, my grandmother, they built this church. That's how faith works. Faith covers generations. Faith takes care of people long after we're gone if we're willing to take those steps. So grandparents took steps of faith to build a church that would protect their grandchildren. Your faith can do the same thing. Just get moving in it. Fan into flame the Holy Spirit that is within you. Trust the outcome to God. He'll do with it whatever He's going to. You just get moving. Do something. See what the Lord will do because you have access to the power of the creator of the universe. His strength is available to you. So when you pray and you ask him for things, you listen for his voice as he says back to you, according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith, it will be done for you. According to your faith, well, you see. Why don't you stand and pray with us? Father, I know that you have loved us enough to die for us. The Bible teaches that. It's mind-boggling to me to think that you have loved us enough to give us access to you. Give us access to your strength and your power, and it's tied to our relationship with you. That is mind-boggling. But Lord, I have experienced it. I have seen it. I have lived it. And I am so grateful for it. Thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that those sitting here today will do the same things, that they'll see it, they'll experience, they'll live it. And they'll know what that type of faith is like. Lord, help us all plug in and fan into flame that which is within us. that, of course, is you. Lord, right now, I, I think of those that need to trust you for the power of salvation and forgiveness they need to trust you unto salvation i pray that they'll do that think particularly of those that have been seeking you for a long time they stay distant they get close and they retreat they walk up against the edge and and they move back lord would you get them up right to the edge And help them take the next step. You've taken every other step. Just help them take that step into you. That they might believe in their hearts. Confess with their mouth. Be baptized into you. Lord, that they might plug in and stay there forever. Would you let today be the day of salvation for those that desperately need it? In Jesus' name. Amen.